Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Sheehan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is a 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Well, good day to you. Happy Friday. Welcome to another episode of Kuden. I'm Eric White, joined by Jeffrey Miller, who is en route somewhere. He's in a car. He's moving. Uh, so how are you today, sir? I'm fine. I'm hoping that I'm not going to mess things up because our host, um, things are always open. And since this is going through my car uh, speakers, I just turned things down so I can barely hear you. Um, but I didn't want that to echo back through and mess up the recording. So, yeah, I'm good. I uh, have my daughter for the just about the whole month of July every year, and she's in, and she's going back to visit her mom for the weekend. It's kind of a reverse thing that I have to do all, you know, the rest of the year. But uh, she's going back. So, say hi, Trin. Hi. See, there you go. Awesome. All right. So, yeah, so if my voice sounds different, it's because I'm, I'm driving. Yeah. Excellent. So, anyway, well, so um, I'll, be, I'll be in a car this entire uh, thing, which I would like to well, point out. Um, there's always ways to do things, right? When it comes to training, you and I talk about this all the time, right? Um, and the, which is why we also make these recordings available. You download things onto your, download the MP3, put them on a flash drive, or turn it to a DVD, a CD, whatever. And you know, I've got students that that uh, because they're very, very busy, you know, they have little time, but they do things like this where they pop the lesson in in car and uh, listen while they're driving. So here we are. We're we're making this happen, even though I can't be in the office today. Well, at least during the call, right? So, um, so there's always a way to make things work. Yeah, and you know it's funny because I I I utilize uh, a lot of that. I'm I'm kind of an auditory person anyhow, working in, in radio, but. Uh, a number of listening back to episodes of Kuden, uh, many of the other programs that you have, uh, many of those calls and discussions recorded. I frequently will go back and listen to them and, you know, just while you're while, while I'm working on laundry or going for a walk. I mean, there's so many different times right. that you can fit in more of this uh, training, not just thinking, oh, well, you know, only when I check in to the dojo and I'm on the floor, am I really working on stuff? So. Yeah, you know, and speaking of this, I, I had a session with one of my meditation students yesterday, and um, we got to discussing this as well because she's another A personality type. Not that I know anybody like that, but um, so you know, she's she's doing all kinds of things, and uh, and then she just got married, and uh, she was a single mom for a long time, so she has a a teenage son as well. And she said, you know, her husband and her son, I mean, they love her to death, right? So they're they're always hanging on, or always wanting to do things. She's just signed up for another college course, like she has extra time for things, right? So uh, part of her stress was that she wants to be meditating on a regular basis, like once a day, but um, literally um, has eaten up all of her time between all these things. 
so uh, what I wanted to, what I did was I reminded her. I mean, we, we did a full, you know, 45-minute hour session, something like that. And um, so once it was all finished, I said, you know, this base uh, technique that I gave you, which is just the observation of breath, um, and it's just a single point. So it's not like you have to follow your breath. You don't have to count anything, uh, whatever, right? Um, conserve double duty. So what I was discussing was that um, meditation, as most people think of it, is very much like martial arts kata, right? Here's this form that you're going to do um, so you can train some factor or faculty of mind, um, which makes sense, right? But that type of meditation where it's going to last six, eight, 20, 30 minutes, whatever, um, is really for sustained uh, work, right? You're going to put your mind or bring, uh, going to focus on a specific um, uh, faculty of mind, right? And um, then uh, you're going to hold that for as long as you can, right? So that's actually training the mind to, to uh, stay in a particular state for a certain amount of time. But there's another type of training as well. It's called spontaneous. And it has many different names, but one way to look at it is spontaneous meditation. And what this training is for is the ability to throw a switch in your mind and go from one state of mind to another with no residual, you know, leftover from the previous state. Um, you've been through some of my meditation things. So yeah. an example of this would be doing Zen-type quieting meditation where you're in you know kind of a zero state you're not using words you're just in the moment and then you get up for meditation and right then and there you have to make a decision about what you about something it, it could be spur of the moment it could be planning or whatever and for a lot of people they get stuck so part of the brain is operating but they've got a lot of this residual zero state, I'm going to use the term duh, but it's not. It's just that blank kind of thing. And it, it, it's like their morning coffee, right? They, it, it's going to take them some time to get out of one state into another state. And, you know, they're, they're wasting time. They're wasting energy. They're wasting opportunity. Or somebody's in uh, chatter mode. Maybe somebody upset them earlier in the day and they're still thinking about it. And they or sit down to do Zen meditation, but they're having a heck of a time getting everything to quiet down because they can't just stop the chatter, right? So it's this switch throwing. So uh, what I what I shared with her was this I was this uh, concept of doing spontaneous meditation. So you're driving along and you pull up at a red light, and you know you know if it just turned red, depending on where you live, you've got what 30 seconds to a minute where you're going to be sitting there. So just Instead of worrying about the light, just take your attention to that point just outside your nostrils where you can feel air moving, right, just a single point of thing. Or put the tips of your two fingers together or your thumbs or whatever and press a little bit to create a point of reference and just put your mind there. And then the light turns green, you let go of things, and you're back in the world doing what you do. And what this does is not just helps you develop that switch, but it actually helps you take advantage of these micro moments throughout the day, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, three minutes, whatever. So you're not lamenting that you don't have 30 minutes or an hour or whatever daily to do meditation. It's okay where you can do sustained meditation for one or two days during the week for the normal time, but 
throughout the week, every day, you suddenly realize that you have six or 12 or two dozen opportunities to work on this, this thing and controlling your mind for, you know, a couple of seconds at a pop, right? And you realize that you do have the time. They're just not, you know, there for this other thing. And we can do the same thing with our training, with our physical training. People yes. lament that they don't have training yeah. partners or they don't have, you know, they don't have an hour that they can train or even a half an hour because they leave work, they drive home. As soon as they get home, they've got family responsibilities and all that. But, you know, as weird as this might sound, um, you know, go to the restroom during work or you go from one project and you go into your office and you close the door and or maybe you don't close the door, right? And you drop into Kamai once on each side and then you do what you need to do and who knows, maybe half an hour later you'll have another 10 or 30 seconds or whatever and you can take up Shoshin or you can take up Sagon or whatever and throw a punch or three and go about the rest of your day, right? Nobody's watching, nobody's looking, but you're taking advantage of these micro moments to actually do things. And I think this is actually much more beneficial than long-term duration training. Not that that's not good training, right? But what you're doing is you're actually now practicing your, your skills not only more often, but you're practicing to do them in the spur of the moment without wind-up, without preparation, without anything other than closed door, take up, come eye, throw a punch, you know, throw a kick, whatever it is, right, and then go about your business, right? So there's a lot of, a lot of benefit to having more than one way uh, to train. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, I'm huge with this. I do just kind of what you described uh, exactly throughout throughout my day. And even with like mundane items, uh, you know, like how I get in and out of my vehicle, you know, I, I put some thought on, you know, am I just plopping myself down in the seat as, you know, often folks do when they get in and out of a car or, you know, are you being mindful of uh, the footwork that it takes to navigate in and around your door and, and sit down with actually not falling down into your seat, things like that throughout the day come up so often. Absolutely, right? I mean, you know, when I, I was just uh, listening to a recording, it's actually a video recording, of uh, a teacher that I train with on a regular basis, and he was talking about uh, things like, um, you know, I repeat this again and again, right? I've been repeating this lesson a lot, right? Dozens of times. You've heard me, right? But you have to remember that you have to learn how to see. You have to learn how to look at things. You have to learn how to listen. You have to learn how to learn. Right. And he said, you know, for every time that I've recited a certain lesson, right, or repeated a certain lesson, you need to do that lesson dozens of times more than I've said it. So if I said it a couple of dozen times, you need to be doing it a couple of dozen times for each time I said it. Right. So this just gives you that opportunity. Um, you know, I've shared this and, and I've been listening and hearing these kind of lessons from teachers since I started, you know, uh, when we teach you a new method for walking or a way to make your walking more effective or effortless, just standard walking, right? Um, you don't set aside time to practice your walking. You practice your walking every time you walk. Otherwise, it's compartmentalized, right? It's in a vacuum. It's something that's alienated that you're always going to have to think about how to do it, when to do it, you know, those kind of things. It's not going to be top of mind. 
what you want to do is get it wired into your muscle memory so that every time you're doing that thing, you know, every time you reach out for a doorknob or a door handle, pull it open, right, um, you could be practicing uh, Sanchin. Now, you don't have to be doing the traditional form, but you can work the synchronicity, the, the um, you know, the, the coordination, right, between leg and arm and, and torso and all that um, to make it happen. Nobody's going to notice. They'll notice it if you do it like a 13th century warrior doing, <laughs> quote, unquote, official Sanchin. But, you know, you could be doing those things. Um, I agree. I mean, for a long time, I was practicing uh, nukiyashi, that sweeping step uh, that we uh, that I teach everybody how to do, and then we do it again when we go to Nijo, Nijo Castle, right, with the nightingale floor. That sweeping, not the one for the tall grass. And uh, I practice that just about every time I go up the steps, right, or uh, in my house, or when I'm going through a door and I'm carrying something, and that's how I close the door behind me, or how I use my leg to close my car door. Or whatever, right? So I would just practice that so that it just became, it's just how, you know, it just became wired. So if I needed that, it was there, you know? Um, so absolutely, you know, if you're working on, uh, I always say working on stealth all the time. So every time yeah. you pick up something, every time you pull out a chair, put a chair back in, stand up, sit down, anything that might cause noise, you just figure out a way to, to make it happen so that you're not putting stress on your joints, so that you're not making noise, and you're just more in control of your body. Every time you move your body, then you're going to be wired to do that just habitually. That's going to be that's going to be the new natural for you rather than what you think of as natural right now, right? Because, again, when we talk about natural, I, I always have to remind people that what most people call natural isn't natural, it's habitual. It's what you've programmed yourself to do the way you do it, right? That has nothing to do with what's most natural for being quiet, what's more, most natural for accomplishing the task with the least amount of energy, what's more natural for, um, you know, creating power with the least amount of movement, you know, that kind of stuff, right? So, um, yeah, anyway, but this spontaneous, just taking the moments and, you know, doing things just throughout the day instead of lamenting and making excuses or complaining or whatever that you can't, um, you know, I've, I've got a poster in the school that has the word can't with a, one of those big uh, traffic signs, red circles with a hash through it, right? The like a do not enter kind of thing or don't do this thing. Um, I've since expanded it. So the words can't, lazy, mean, um, there's something else in there as well, right? And the poster itself says don't use four-letter words. Right? <laughs> so that's kind of a don't do these things in the dojo, right? But don't do them all the time, right? Um, when people, most people think of not using four-letter words, they're thinking about, you know, social etiquette. Don't use these things because... Um, no, we'll use those words in the right context because um, I might be in South Philly. And if I don't pepper my language with four-letter expletives, somebody's not going to take me seriously. So mm. I'm never going to tell people to not use those words. We use them appropriately, right? Right speech, right? But can't, mean, lazy, those kind of things, mm, you know. And there is a difference between lazy and relaxed. 
people like to twist those words. There's a difference, right? I'm worth taking some time off and relaxing. It's very different from somebody who's just being lazy. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, um, I, I want to make that point today. Remarkable One, can, too. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. I just want to make the point that you know we're we're making this work even though I'm not at you know, typically work. I'm returning my daughter to her mother um, for the weekend and, you know, um, uh, just waiting for that to happen at the moment. Um, but uh, uh, we're making this happen just like anybody can make their training happen if they really want. Uh, yeah. So. And, and you know, I was going to say uh, remarkable too, you kind of touched on uh, stealth training and that going on all the time and uh, made me think how really working on walking when you're walking, as you mentioned, really right. can pick up your stealth ability uh, over time. Uh, you know, I run into this all the time, uh, just in my workplace or day-to-day -day kind of uh, dealings where just naturally because of working on walking, I don't shuffle, drag my feet, clop around on the floor, those kinds of things. So naturally, I think I just kind of tend to be a little more quiet. Well, all the time do I run into people, whether it's you know here at, at my workplace or other places where it's like you, you find that you surprise people. They didn't realize you were standing there. Uh, you have to start reminding yourself then to kind of make a little noise when you enter a place right. or something so you don't startle people. But Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's just I find that I sneak up on people all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I find that I sneak up on people all the time, but my intention is not to sneak up on them. I just I just walk up and say, Hey, how you doing? And they jump out of their freaking shoes. Um, but they're like, Stop sneaking I, I'm not sneaking. This is just the way I walk. You know, yeah. but they're so used to and uh I've used this analogy a lot. Remember when we had computer monitors and TVs that had the beveled screen, right? Because mm. that's just the way the tube was made. Right? Well, when we watched television We'd have to look pretty close, or somebody'd have to remind us that the screen is shaped the way it is. But when we watch television, the screen was, you know, flat to us. That's what we're watching, right? right? Um, first time I saw a flat screen monitor, I almost fell off balance forward because my brain was trying to make an adjustment hmm. for the screen, right? Um, kind of like those stairs in the Ninja Museum on Togashi uh, <laughs> in that Ninja House. Remember that one where you look through the window? I love that. Or on the other side is. Yeah, I mean, and they don't have any signs that say, caution, you're going to fall on your face kind of thing. <laughs> right. right. But it's just your brain trying to make this adjustment, and it, it'll just throw you off, right? So, um, yeah, it's that same thing. People are so used to the noise that human beings make in the normal course of their day that they filter that out. So when it's not there, other things about their perception add in. Right, so there's no noise going on, so the place must be unoccupied. Uh, yeah, no, I'm right here. Um, so, I mean, I, I had a friend uh, a bunch of years ago that when she went up and down the stairs, it and she was five two, right? Um, it sounded like she had cement overshoes on, right? <laughs> and I would go up and down the same stairs and you know, come come around the corner and say, hey, by the way, and just start a conversation. And she was one of the ones that would jump out of her shoes, right? And um, But she could she could never hear herself. She could never hear the, the sound. And um, then when she actually started working on this, the amount of 
workout or the amount of exercise that she realized she was getting by controlling her body and placing things rather than just letting gravity, you know, pull her down and she would just kind of get a leg or a foot under each one uh, or each each position. Uh, it was a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, you know, it just, uh, yeah, it was a lot of work because you're putting more muscle effort into it. Uh, and isn't that the irony, right? We're in a martial art that talks about relaxation, using minimal energy to produce the most amount of work. And there's a lot of work that goes into minimizing how much you have to do, you know? Um, it's, it's, I've always thought it was a uh, kind of ironic in the true huh. sense of yeah. irony. Right. Anyway. So cool. Uh, we do have, uh, we do have a question that's come in from, uh, Josh who's on the call who, uh, put a okay. question in through the website, uh, website and says this, uh, you know, he gives a hypothetical situation here. So I'll kind of read what he's written. Uh, so he says, okay. so it's the middle of the night. You're awakened from sleep by a loud crashing noise coming from somewhere in your home and you could have sworn yeah, it was one of my like cats. Broken glass, right? Oh, <laughs> this happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, and so he goes on to say, well, your spouse is still sleeping soundly beside you. So you sit up wondering, did you dream this whole thing? So he kind of lists options. Do you, do you try to go back to sleep figuring and imagine it? Or would you get up and investigate or arm yourself with something or go old Chuck Norris is option E, he says, and assume that, that uh, <laughs> simply the sight of you in your underwear is going to be enough to frighten anybody off. So he wants a discussion. On well, that is true. That. Yeah, so uh, absolutely. Um, one, I have weapons strategically placed around my house of different sorts, so I can always grab something in passing. But um, if something awakens me and I don't know what it is, I go look. I will go investigate. Um knowing that it's probably one of my cats, but at the same time, knowing that, you know, I live in, a, in an area where just half a mile away, right, there's problem areas and, and things can happen at any point. I live in a residential neighborhood. It's not a gated security, you know, guarded kind of place or whatever. So, uh, yeah, no, I go check. Do I bother to get dressed to go get checked or to go? Nope. I just... I go as is because I need to go now before that person thing or whatever, should it be a threat, uh, ends up getting closer. Because here's my here's my strategic reasoning. reasoning okay? uh, remember, strategy is different from tactics, right? Tactics is how I will go down the stairs to make minimum noise or to sound like maybe my cat's traversing the stairs, but my strategy is why I'm doing these things, right? Why not grab a weapon and wait right at the bedroom door until maybe somebody comes up there? Um, because I want any engagement to be as far away from my family as possible. So I will get up and go downstairs. I will go wherever I heard the sound. To, so if there is a threat, I'm going to meet that threat as far away from those that I'm trying to protect as possible. So if I let it get too close, then um, my, then my family can't muster they can't move to a different exit in my house uh they can't move to a safe room because you know my wife is going to lead the kids right and to get to my room uh there's a hallway that connects all these rooms and they could just as easily have selected a different room so i don't i don't want that chance i don't want to have that kind of thing where whatever engagement happens uh me winning or losing or whatever happens in a way that that she can't grab the kids and, and go um do i wake her up 
depends on what it is that I feel. Um, I'm going to do a lot of listening to see if I hear other movement because, uh, or what kind of uh, sense uh, sensations and, and input I get from my senses um, as to whether I wake her up and say, look, somebody might be downstairs. Get the kids. Okay, go. Uh, we actually have a side exit uh, down a stairwell from my upstairs um, that leads directly out the side of the house. Um, people can't get in from the outside, uh, but um, so it's not really a ninja house. It just used to be uh, laid out as apartments, and when we bought it, we turned it back into a full house. So uh, this is really neat stairwell that goes down uh, and out, right? So there's two back doors. There's one front door. Uh, there's a foyer area with doors that both have locks on them, so uh, we can literally lock people I mean, they could get in one entrance and find that they're facing two more doors that are just like the outside entry door. So, uh, uh, you know, so anyway, it just works out. But um, but I'm, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go check. Uh, you know, if, I, if I'm listening and I hear the cats messing around with something else or whatever, I'm still going to go double check and make sure that it's the cats. Uh, but I'm not the kind of guy that's just going to go back to sleep and hope that all is well. If they kill me in my sleep and I don't feel anything, that'll be good. Give me half a second. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, I was gonna say too, uh, Josh, that you know, I'm kind of a Sorry. proponent of you know also understanding kind of the flow of of your your home. I mean, you know it better mm -hmm. than likely somebody breaking in. Uh, I kind of do this with my son who likes to play hide and seek a lot, and uh, you know, I, it's it's interesting to to watch and observe even with a child like that that there is a certain kind of. Uh, I don't want to say ignorance, but ignoring certain parts of a home, even if somebody has no idea about how your home's laid out, things like a bathroom. Somebody walks by a bathroom and instinctively isn't likely to check that out as, well, this is a place I'm going to ransack. Uh, you know, they're, they're searching for those spots where they can grab something of value. So often right. someone will ignore and just kind of wander past a bathroom that's clearly looks empty. Uh, I've often found, again, just in the basic hide and seek types games you play with kids that being in a place that somebody doesn't assume anybody would be in anyway, really is a great place to hide and observe from. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, sure. likely, likely uh, being in a place you're not expected to be in the middle of the night is also, I think, a, a, a great tactic for putting yourself in a spot where you can, you can do something. Right. Um, actually, this, this uh, brings up something as well. Uh, one, as when it comes to the bathroom, you want to make sure that you're aware of, uh, like, angles, right? Because you can mm -hmm. be hiding around the corner, but the vanity mirror is right there, and, you know, you might be using it to see somebody pass by the doorway. But this is like uh, like that uh, adage we had in the military, that if the enemy's in range, so are you. If you mm -hmm. can see the enemy in a mirror, so he can see you, right? He's not looking at himself. Right, so uh, even though you're in there, you're going to have to, you know, get below a certain angle, or just be mindful of those things. Uh, but I, I believe that you're right. It, but it, for a bathroom, it's also going to depend on the time of day, or uh, uh, you know whether a light's on or not. Right. So if there's a night light on or the lights off, and they kind of move the door and they see that it's a bathroom and it's one in the morning, yeah, chances are they're going to move on. If they come to the top of the stairs turn and there's a light on 
and they open it yep. and see the bathroom, they're, they're going to they're gonna clear the bathroom, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they're going to want to make sure there's a threat. Um, but that, that uh, you know, just hiding and observing and seeing what they're doing is, you know, do we have to engage? I mean, if somebody's in my house and I, I go down and I'm at the bottom of the stairs and, and the way our place is laid out, there's, there's plenty of things for me to do, right? But what I see is that they're they're grabbing, you know, stuff from the wine rack or whatever in my dining room, or they're grabbing the keys in the living room. Um, my life and the life of my family is not worth the same as that TV. So it's worth much more, right? So I'm I, I'm inclined, unless they seem like they have weapons or they're talking about checking upstairs, um, I'm gonna wait, you know. And mm-hmm. if they just mm-hmm. take the TV and leave, you know what? We have insurance. Right. I mean, it's part of self-defense. Right. So and I'm going to get a new TV. So great. Okay, But um, I can just lie and wait. Um, And I think a lot of people miss this because they they think they have to engage right away. Remember, this this is about survival. This is not about winning a fight. This is not about, you know, putting medals on your chest and, um, you know, anything like that. Um, Kind of reminds me of a a little mental uh, kind of a mind game question that a teacher posed to me a long, long time ago where we were looking at the difference between the average fighter, martial arts, self-defense mind and the way a ninja thinks. And the question was, you enter this old, dark, abandoned house, okay? You know there's a bad guy in there, okay? And And here's the game. You have to get from the front door to the back door and get out without them catching you or seeing you, right, Um, or something like that. I mean, you can set this up any way you want, but you're in this place with a bad guy, right? So what do you do? Well, people think about moving around and prepping and grabbing a weapon and and all those kind of things, and um, the the answer for a ninja is you're going to wait them out. You're going to find a nice dark corner and blend in there. And wait till they leave, right? Um, or they go someplace where it's far enough away from you that you can then move to the back door. Because if you don't know where they are or you're moving around and they're moving around, everything is it's kind of up to chance, right? Um, you could try to rush in and rush out, but, you know, um, until you know where everything is, especially where they are or how many of them there are or anything, right? You need to spend some time gathering some information so that you can make a wise decision rather than just a decision. So the answer for that exercise was to find a dark corner and hunker down and watch the activity and wait for the best moment, right? It's our nin, right? Sometimes you can't act in the moment. You have to be patient and wait. Patience is an an alternate translation for the nin symbol. Most people get the perseverance and endurance right, but they often miss the patience, right? Hmm. And sometimes you just have to wait it out. You know, if we woke up one morning and the entire country was occupied by uh, the wrong forces and, you know, they've got overwhelming force, you know, like that Red Dawn movie kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. military is occupied or they're, you know, busy somewhere else or they're shut down or whatever, right? Um I can't just act in the moment because they're everywhere, right? So you lie in wait. You you 
put on the right face, you, you know, act like you're all for whatever's going on and you wait for that yeah. best moment, you know? So absolutely. I think the, the lying in wait is a great option rather than just going down and confronting. But if I do have to confront, like I said, um, or I have to prevent them from going upstairs, I want to be in a position that, that keeps them as far away from my family as possible when the engagement occurs. So from my mind, the only way to get to my family is through me, but I'm not just going to make my presence known and say, well, my family, you got to go through me, you know, that tough guy kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Because if they can come in, do what they need to do and get out, and I've seen all their faces, I have IDs, yeah, they feel great in the moment, and they walked away with a TV that I may never get back, but when I call the cops, I don't just have a, I don't know, I heard a commotion, and then I came down the next morning to get some coffee, and the TV was gone, you know, that kind of thing. Or I went to bust them up and thought there was just two guys, and one guy came out of the bathroom and clocked me to the back of the head, or maybe I don't mm-hmm. want to tell the story because he didn't clock me in the back of the head, he stabbed me in the kitchen, whatever, you know, so... Um, yeah. We need to think about this much more uh, intelligently, much more strategically than just uh, uh, this or that kind of thing. And I think like you like you mentioned, you know, knowing where that line is of uh, what your purpose is and, you know, saying, hey, I'm, I'm defending my family. That's what's important here, not maybe just the TV. Uh, and I like to say, OK, they make off of the TV, but. Uh, later down the road, you've, you've got descriptions and they're caught or whatever comes of that. But uh, we've all heard the stories that uh, uh, even in your own home, engaging somebody breaking in, even if you're successful in busting them up, that can mean jail time or penalties or anything legality for yourself. And that puts you at risk as well for being able to continue to you know, defend your family and, and that kind of a thing. So really knowing where, where to pick that battle. Yeah. And that's another good point too. There's just, there's far too many people that, um, you know, they, they understand the self-defense thing and they understand the responsibility for self-defense. Sorry, I'm trying to navigate a parking lot here. Um, and they understand all those things, but you know, whether it's right or not, the reality is that there are prosecutors who will go out of their way to turn a self-defense situation into an opportunistic attack. They will you the bad guy. And if you don't believe me, there's plenty of people sitting in prisons that because of the way they made a statement or because of uh, their choices when there were alternatives available to them or whatever, uh, there was a prosecutor that could make a case and did that, uh, you know, they forced the situation and the damage or injury or whatever would not have occurred had they not active. So right or wrong, you know, we have to remember, and that's why we have those eight phases of self-defense. Um, the teacher that I originally was with and, and got those things from, um, they only went up to six. Okay? And I've thought about them over the years and put my, my uh, own training and experience behind them, both in law enforcement and as, and as a civilian. So now we have eight, right? And one of those is protecting yourself against the legal system. Because right or wrong, i, I got to tell you, right or wrong doesn't matter once you go into the courtroom. What matters is who makes the best, most convincing argument to convince a judge or jury 
of whatever, and then they will they will decide based on the case presented. So if you hire a defense attorney that sucks, or they don't bring up the right things, or you know their strategy is flawed, or the other person is just you know the state can throw an unlimited amount of money at putting you in jail unless you have O.J. Simpson's money. Of course, he's broke now. But, if, I mean, that's the one good thing that came out of the O.J. case, guilty or not. He was able to meet the state of California dollar for dollar for his defense. As a matter of fact, he beat, he beat what they spent on it. And, hmm. you know, so uh, unless you're able to do that, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a different world. So we always, always, always have to take those into account um, and just make sure that if we – quote unquote lose the way most people conventionally would see losing, um, we've already won, right? We've still got what we wanted, family safe, that kind of thing. Um, but you know, the the words of, of uh Nagato Shihan uh from a couple of years ago just echo in my mind all the time when I have these conversations or I think about these things. And what he said, remember this is ninja two. You don't have to win. Just don't lose. It's about survival, right? Winning implies there's got to be a winner, there's got to be a loser, it's a contest, that kind of thing. No, it's about survival. Hatsumi Sensei, one of the first questions that Takamatsu Sensei asked him when he started training with him, Hatsumi Sensei was bragging about all his black belts and accomplishments and all the Menkyo Kai Dan he had and everything, right? And Takamatsu Sensei said, well, that's all great, but can you survive? Mm. Can I survive what? doesn't matter. Can you survive? And Nagata said these words, you know, you don't have to win. Just don't lose. Right? Mm. And that's just a whole mind stretch for a lot of people because we've been raised in kind of a left-brain academic society where we have this dichotomy of, well, if you didn't win, then you must have lost, right? And there's this big fear over losing and anxiety about winning and all that, but there's a whole other realm going on where you're okay, you've survived, right? Uh, maybe he didn't go to jail. Maybe you didn't go to jail, you know, whatever. Okay, great, fantastic. Okay? Can you replace the TV? Yes. My family's safe? Yes. You know, and I think we understand this instinctively as human beings, especially as, as adult mature individuals anyway, because, you know, as soon as – one of our children get hurt, right? And you hear this from people all the time. Well, maybe not from everybody. But, you know, kid calls mom and dad. He's been in an accident. And mom or dad, first words out of their mouth is, look, stop, stop. Are you okay? Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm fine. Well, great. We have insurance. We can replace the car. Can't replace you, right? So are there other ones that yell and scream? And Yeah, okay. Yes. But to me, they're priorities. We're not going to say they're wrong. They're just different. Mm. So um, I, I think these are all very, very important. But hopefully that didn't uh, beleaguer uh, Josh's question. But my answer is I may or may not wake up my wife, depending on what my senses are telling me. Um, I'm going to collect more information before I even move. But I am going to go check it out. I'm going to go to the source of the sound because chances are that it's farther away from the family than – where I am right now, 
Okay, so that's my that's my short answer. Excellent. Hopefully that helps. Well, we'll have to sneak into Josh's place sometime and see how it goes. Yeah, he'll, he'll be in class tonight, so he can tell me if I was, you know, <laughs> if he thinks I was blowing smoke or uh, if uh, it was a decent answer. Okay, so good. Okay. So uh, what else? Yeah, well, we, I, I wanted to discuss too. You had you had shared uh, just the other day on the Kudun page and various other outlets uh, this this really intriguing video, um, which is titled Six Life Saving Rules to Surviving a Serious Fight." And I'm I'm yeah, not my, uh, particularly uh, sure what what this guy's art or anything is, but wow, he had some really uh, I thought profound uh, items here to discuss. Yeah, I think at one point in there he mentions Eskrima or Kali or something like that. Uh, so hmm. the Filipino arts do spend a lot of time uh, with blades and all that. And But he makes the point over and over again that it doesn't matter what, what style you're teaching. And I absolutely agree. That was actually uh, shared to me by one of my black belts, uh, one of my friends. Uh, you know him, Erskine, Harris, right? Yes. Um, Erskine's originally from New York and uh, understands all those bad things. And now he lives in the more quiet areas of Pennsylvania. So uh, hmm. <laughs> he uh, doesn't have to worry about bad things as much anymore. Um, not that it's not there, but you know he just changed the uh, changed the, the percentages, I guess. But anyway, he sent that to me, and uh, the joke was, hmm, "Wonder where I've heard these things before." So uh-huh. uh, yeah, but there are those six things. Again, I'm driving, so I don't know what they are in order. I don't remember all of them. I can recap them quick for you because I knew you'd yeah, be traveling. Yeah, we can discuss those. Yeah, so they are, uh, he, he lists them as, assume they're carrying a weapon. Uh, your knife okay. is meant to be felt, not seen. Use deception to close distance. Don't play the MMA game. Uh, when, weapon, when weapons are involved, fight dirty. And last was, don't fight unless you have to. Yeah, hello, where have we heard those before? <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, so my, my coaching call with my long-distance students, uh, you know, we have two groups, right, uh, because people have different schedules. So I guess we have three groups. Uh, we have a group that can meet on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern time based on where they are in the world. Uh, they can be on live, and if they have to miss a call or whatever, everything's recorded, just like these things. Uh, and then we have a call on Friday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, so uh, I usually try to do two different class topics. Sometimes one of those calls is just a Q&A. So, you know, it's just kind of an open discussion. But either way, people get the benefit. Every once in a while there's a situation where the universe just aligns just right. Nobody shows up. It was a Q&A night, so there's no recording. But um, it is what it is. So we have a Tuesday group, we have a Friday group, and then I do have some people that are in my top-tier program that actually have access to um, – both group calls, and all that. So, but anyway, the, the topic for this morning uh, was actually based on some training that we had done uh, this week, Wednesday and Thursday night, at the dojo based on Sanchin and uh, Chinokata. And so the premise of the, of the lesson and the call was, what if your unarmed training against unarmed attacks isn't, right? What if it's, what if you're not, what if the kata that are showing you, you know, a defense against a punch wasn't really a defense against a punch? It was a, it was a defense against a, a sword, like a, like a dachi, a big, long sword, right? 
or a spear, a naginata or whatever, right to the throat or right through your torso. So what if that was really the attack? Okay. Um, a lot of these things that people uh, go through and do where they, they're taking multiple steps uh, just isn't going to work, right? Because if somebody's throwing a punch, um, you know, they may hit you again, but we're not talking about getting touched or tagged or maybe a rib broken or whatever. We're talking about having your body opened up if they touch you. And if they miss on the first one, they're just going to change angle and cut you with a follow-up, right? Um, so that was the premise question, but the reality is that's what was going on anyway. And we've talked about this on a previous show, I think, either that it was one of my coaching calls, where traditionally, way back in the day, the training was inverted from what it is today. They, they didn't start with unarmed. They started with long arms. Right, so they actually started with spear and naginata and things like that. So uh, on a battlefield, they were able to actually tag somebody and do one cut, one kill from a distance. So when you're looking at your sanchin or you're looking at any of your kata, yes, I know the kata itself is showing you how to do it against somebody punching, but you have to remember that historically the guy punching was carrying weapons, and so were you, right? Very rarely, if ever, you would have been in, a, in an encounter where weapons weren't involved. So he either had one in his hand, and that was what was attacking, or he had access to one. So just because you got away from a punch doesn't mean that he couldn't draw a short sword or a long sword or jute or whatever and finish it, right? So, um, the, I mean, there's this whole lesson in um, I'll make sure that you get it, and just because we're talking about it now, I'll post the recording to the Kuden page, uh, send it out to the people that are on the list, so uh, you can get the full lesson, uh, and I, I don't have to repeat it again. But the uh, the gist behind it was in why we're doing all this profiling, and I mean like blading our body, like in archer's position, not um, not profiling like, you know, identifying people, whatever. Right. So why we're doing that, why the legs and the torso and all that have to move a certain way and why we can't have residual movement. And it's because the attack comes down the center line. Right. And once you get really, really good at that, you just get much more comfortable with somebody throwing hooks and, and you know, Taekwondo roundhouse kicks and things like that because they're not making your life difficult. Right. Something comes right down the middle if you lean or shift in one direction or the other before you can move a leg, or it takes you two steps to get out of that spot when you only have time for a half a step or whatever, you're going to get nailed. So maybe you don't get tagged in the heart, but you get a spear through your shoulder, your brachial plexus instead, or, uh, you know, whatever, right? So there's a very specific reason for doing these things. And um, so... The, the point, which matches up the first one in this uh, in this video, is assume weapons are involved, even if you can't see one, right? Always train as though you're going to be up against a weapon, always, okay? You don't, you don't talk about training against punches and training against grabs and training against kicks and all that, and then training against long staff and sword and all that. It's all the same thing. That's why when we train with these things, we grab the same way we punch. We kick the same way we punch. They're all to the center line. They're all to the spinal column. 
they're all to the midline of the body, so he has to move more to get out of the way. If I throw a hook and come from the outside, he has this huge field of uh, huge range of motion, movement that he can he can evade through. Right? When you come right down the middle and you're splitting the difference between his feet, he, he has to have some serious skill with his body. So, But when we do that, and then when we understand that Sanchin are not just these five models that are done with the body, right? There's the Sanchin of punching. There's the Sanchin of kicking. There's the Sanchin of uh, sword. the Sanchin of bow. All that kind of stuff. And it all starts with Kamai. That's why your very first lesson in Chino Kata is going to Shoshin. You're not just taking up Kamai to start a bunch of things. The way you take that Kamai is the primary lesson that runs through everything, right? And the way you take that Kamai will determine how you can do everything else and what your survival uh, advantage is, right? So, um, mm. yeah, so uh, that very first lesson on there, I, I endorse 100%. Weapons, yeah. you'll always train as though a weapon's involved, okay? And, you know, I like how he pointed uh, sure out kind of awareness. I'm not sure if you've been in, on, awareness awareness been in seminars or not, but I've done ones where, uh, whether it's black belt training or whatever, where as we're avoiding things, we're allowing our hands and arms to shift along their body, not just to be able to read their movements, but to actually do a pat-down in the process of evading, yeah. and we move our hands along the typical places where we know through research, we know the typical thug, bad guy, or whatever carries a weapon, right? So that's what we're going to scan because I may not be able to get to it because it's in his jacket or it's in his pocket or it's down the front of his pants or whatever, but knowing that it's there now tells me where I need to operate from to make it harder for him to get that weapon to come to bear on my body. Right. Right, so there's always an assumption that weapons are involved, always. Yeah, and then he talks about you know having having his own weapon. In this case, uh, in the video, he kind of points out having just like a standard kind of pocket or clip knife, um, but pointing out that you know he doesn't he doesn't bring this thing out and do some flashy kind of show with it. Uh, it doesn't come out until he, he intends to use it, so, and, and as he puts it, it's meant to be felt, not seen, so that your opponent doesn't have any sense that you have this thing until it's already too late. Yeah, and see, this this will go together with the distance thing because uh, it depends on the weapon that you have from my perspective. So I agree that they shouldn't see the weapon until it's too late. That weapon should be felt and not seen. So uh, that's why we do the other training where in the middle of a technique we're drawing a weapon. Right, as opposed to pulling it out first, is as soon as you pull a weapon out, it escalates that situation to the highest point that it can possibly go to. Right? Mm -hmm. um, he will and he will turn the volume up. Now, what most people are hoping for is that the guy runs away. Okay? And in the words of John Panette, the comedian, um, I say nay nay, because <laughs> if he runs away, he has the opportunity to regroup and come back at you, sight unseen. Yeah. He has the opportunity yeah. to blindside you to, you know, whatever. So um, last thing I want to do is get this guy to put his tail between his legs and run off. Now, I know how counterproductive that sounds to self-defense, but if we're doing the other uh, four phases, five phases out of the 
actually the middle four, two through five, um, in the eight phases that we teach, then we've already tried to escape. We've already uh, tried to just disappear before they could pick up pick up the target. That's in situational awareness. We've already tried to escape the safety. That's phase three. We've already tried to distract to be able to get get away. Right. That's de-escalation phase one or phase uh, four. And we've already tried to dissuade. Okay. And get him to go somewhere else. So while drawing a weapon could dissuade, we also have to remember that if we still have to be or, or travel or live in the area where this person operates, we're in danger if we let them get away. Mm. Okay? If I'm on vacation, I could do something like that, get them to run off, because I can pack the family up and go, you know what? We're out of here. You know? Yeah. Um, and unless they knew who I am and where I live, uh, you know, so, again, it's another one of those dependent kind of things. But, um, yeah, so now could I draw the weapon to control him until the cops get there and he goes off to jail? Yes. But I want to do that when he gets into a situation where he can't just get away from me. He can't just, you know, draw a weapon of his own. I don't pull a knife outside of uh, you know, knife range where he might pull a gun, right? So um, I don't pull a gun uh, within touching range, but at the same time, I don't pull it from a distance either because he runs off. Again, I have this, this situation. And if he didn't have a gun in his hand and there are witnesses or video cameras, then you've got an image, me, on video, pulling a weapon on somebody who looks unarmed because there's video cameras, the ATM cameras and all those things, they don't pick up audio. They don't hear this guy threatening you. They don't hear the engagement. They only see. They only pick up, you know, what's visual. So that can be interpreted a whole bunch of ways. This is all very, very important in our training, right? We said they talk about this stuff a lot. Um, they used to talk about it a lot more way back in the day. Uh, because things have become more, you know, let's do it like Kukushinda and let's do it like Gyoko, because that's what people wanted. So, you know, he makes his money as well, so he teaches what people want to learn. But at the same time, you know, we need to think about these things and already pre-plan for them and recognize that there are multiple options in any given moment, and it's our, uh, it's our responsibility as ninja to gather information, to assess the situation you know, to, to to choose the right option and not just have a on or off binary, uh, you know, it's either a zero or a one, right? I'm either going to yeah. run or hide or I'm going to, I'm going to fight, right? So we, we need to have those things. Well, we so, are yeah, uh, just was... uh, about to the end of our, our run on this. I do want to go ahead. I'm going to put it in this other mode and uh, give the opportunity uh, for questions at this time. Yeah, that's we'll fine. And, and time. Just to wrap up that thing, um, as Eric said, it is on the, the video itself that someone has sent me, uh, is on the Kuden page. So if you are, uh, if you've liked the Kuden page, you're a member on there, uh, or if you're uh, uh, a subscriber on the Kuden mailing list, early notification mailing list, um, I'll send it out. I'll send the link out that way as well. Uh, you get it. You can you can uh, take a look at the other what four 
um, four points that he made because mm-hmm. I I agree with all of them. Yeah. So um, and then maybe that'll spark questions for a for a follow up show. That's fine too. All right. Any other questions? Was that what we're waiting for? Uh, yeah. I don't see any more on the webcast side. Okay. Okay. So uh, yeah. Um, what do we got going on? Uh, I think the next thing I was going to be sending out was uh, the fact that we have some openings in the long distance training program for anybody that is uh, looking to get more in depth training like this on a regular basis. Because um, you can learn Onikodaki on YouTube. You don't need to, um, uh, you know, pay somebody to teach you, right? Uh, unless you want direct one on one help or you want to go deeper than just what the technique looks like in a two-dimensional medium, right? So that being said, they can always contact me. Uh, you can send an email to warriorc at warriorconceptsonline.com. There's a dash between each of the words, warrior and the letter C at warrior-concepts-online.com. And uh, in the subject line, put call request, and I'll set up a complimentary coaching call for you. So we'll talk about more than just the programs we're going to uh we'll actually figure out where you are in the training and i will give you things to work on uh no cost that that class i will give you a couple of things to work on uh to see immediate improvement over the next three to six months whether you sign up into the program or not so um uh, i think that's more than fair uh so we can do that and uh i also am putting some more live seminars on uh on the schedule and I will be posting those times and dates and all that here pretty soon, uh, along with when we'll be doing fall camp and uh, this year's Dicomiosai, which is actually in January. Um, but uh, I'll post those things. And, uh, yeah, we can go from there. Awesome. Lots happening. So definitely uh, look for, we'll be looking for those posts. And, uh, of course, looking forward to more questions that come in over the next week for uh, next Friday's show. So uh, thanks to Josh for his fun question there as well. And I uh, hope everybody has a great week. And sir, thanks for making uh, making the time for this, even though you were on the road today. So it's glad it worked out. Hey, no worries. No worries. All right. Excellent. All right. Well, then until next week. Thank you for listening to Kudan, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.